The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. Welcome to Through the Glass Columns, a Wheel of Time read-along podcast. Each week, we will be reading, discussing, and digesting a small selection from Robert Jordan's fantasy opus. This quest is led by Tyler, a true Wheel of Time warrior. I have all stories, ages that were and that will be. And I'll be joined by Greg, a complete novice to the Wheel of Time. The Wheel of Time and the Wheel of a Man's Life turn alike without pity or mercy. Join us each week as we read the Wheel of Time in our own sweet time, traveling deeper and deeper through the glass columns. But what does that even mean? No, 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 no. no. You don't get to find out yet. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to Through the Glass Columns, your weekly read-along Wheel of Time podcast. Tonight or today, or whatever time of day you are listening to this, you uh, are here to listen to us talk about two fresh chapters, chapter 36 and chapter 37, Web of the Pattern and the Long Chase. Uh, Here to explore with you, as always, is me, Greg. Good to see you all. I'm attacking this with fresh energy tonight. And joining me with less than fresh energy is my co-host Tyler. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing very well. You haven't experienced my energy, but less than fresh was probably a pretty solid (laughs) guess. I'll give you credit for that. Um, Unless we have anything that we really need to dive into in your life, please let us know about big events. But otherwise, (laughs) I say we get right into what I think could be actually a pretty packed week. There's a bunch of stuff going on in these two chapters. Anything before we dive in? Just that. I also am hosting an Andor Watch Along podcast, and it was very confusing to be talking about an episode of Andor called The Eye, while also talking about the eye of the world with a location called Andor in it. So uh, yeah, kind of cool synchronicity this week. I'm here for it. (laughs) Yeah, so let's just dispel any issues of overlap and talk about pair in a bunch this week, shall we? Sounds good. Sounds good. (laughs) Excellent. Well, before we get into anything in either of the chapters, uh, I would actually like to begin with an ill-advised discussion of visual. I'm not even going to try. And specifically this week, we are going to be talking about the chapter icon on chapter 37, which is the icon of the sun. So before we dive into any of my symbolism or what does it stand for, Greg, I'm curious what you read into this and where you kind of went with this image. Uh, I started singing the Beatles, right? Here comes the sun. Uh, No, (laughs) I guess I'm in a goofy mood tonight. Apologies to listeners, but uh, what did I think about this? Well, you know, in a book that's been obsessed with light and dark, it felt important that we were seeing the sun, right? And, you know, as a symbol and within a kind of dichotomy like that, I think of something like Plato's Allegory of the Cave, where this is like pure goodness, pure knowledge, the the unadulterated truth, uh, which I think, you know, has been worn to death as a symbol in a lot of places. And um, just as a piece of art, what's interesting about it is it's not actually pure light. It's actually pretty heavily uh, kind of uh, toned or shaded with some dark. So we have these uh, 
long uh, rays, uh, for lack of a better term, and each of those is uh, divided in half and is half light and half dark to create an effect. And then the behind them is, you know, what would be kind of the ball of the sun or I guess the corona of the sun. Don't ask me about astronomy. I am not (laughs) helpful at all. But it, you could interpret it a couple different ways, but it's, it means that around the central kind of white uh, orb, there's, uh, or circle, there's just kind of an effect of a darker ring around it. Um, so uh, in both cases, it's, it's actually kind of a balanced sun. So I wouldn't be willing to say, you know, there's a way in which it's like, oh, it's the sun, we have to be at the pure goodness, or the, the, the full light side. Um, and I don't think this sun is evocative of that. And I think that is exactly as intended. Um, if I had to ask you, if you saw this at the beginning of a chapter, knowing what was in chapter 37, and also knowing that this is, as you just described, kind of a not all good sun, what do you think this is going to be at the beginning of? Uh, sorry, I realized dead air time is podcast gold. Uh, <laughs> I can put in some game show music. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of, you know, to me, the chapter is about conflict, right? And it yeah. is also, um, you know, there's a couple things at play here. There's the, the, the white cloaks are here. And so they are ones who think they are of the light, but are of the dark, uh, seemingly. Um, but we also had the force of Moraine. Um, and then at the very end of the chapter, the, the wolves. Uh, so we kind of have this convergence, or so it seems, of our two plots uh, that have been happening without Rand, uh, probably for the same amount of time, despite being in so many Rand chapters prior to this. Uh, so to me, yeah, a convergence in some way uh, could be part of it or just, uh, you know, darkness rises and light to meet it. Powerful light, powerful dark. We're, we're, we're in the balance, if you will. Those are some wild speculative guesses. Uh, that is a really wonderful set of wild speculative guesses, which is not in any way inaccurate. I think mm-hmm. if I go through it, you didn't actually say anything I can say is wrong. That being said, where you started the thought was the best. As I often tell my econ students, do it as simply as possible. It's the white cloak symbol. They love yeah. sun. They think that they are pure light. And as you mentioned, this image uh, is light laced with quite a bit of darkness with sheen's exactly correct for the white cloaks we will see this symbol pop up more or less anytime we have a major character from that group as kind of a prominent force in the chapter as we did in this one where perrin and Egwene are obviously being held hostage but before we get to that unless you have any last thoughts about the sun i think we should jump back a chapter to chapter 36 web of the pattern Let's Hearing. do so. Uh, one of my favorite titles of a chapter in recent memory. I thought that was, you know, intriguing, and I instantly knew what, where we were working back towards, though it didn't come up in exactly the the way I expected. So let's hit hit us with a, a summary before I blather on anymore. Uh, I enjoy your blathering, so do it as much <laughs> on as you would like. Um, that being said. Uh, Master Gill basically greets them, he feeds them, he hears their story, although Rand does tell him kind of the edited version with no actual, you know, Trollocs or Murdrail, just, you know, bad people. I don't think he even mentions dark friends. He just kind of lets them, you know, 
they're just people who are after us. Um, Gil basically offers them a place to stay. Um, and Rand also asks about Elida, the queen's advisor. Um, and basically Master Gil says, no, Elida will figure out that you're associated with Tom in some way. That's immediately going to get you caught. Um, after a little bit, uh, Master Gil has to go somewhere, seemingly always at the behest of the cook. And Rand, after kind of reassuring Matt, trying to get him to settle down and not worry about what's going on, is trying to find a quiet place to be alone. He finds the library, and it turns out that he is not alone there. He meets a nine-plus-foot-tall Ogier named Loyal, um, and he has a number of interesting conversations with Loyal, which which will basically be the rest of this summary. Um, first, he learns that humans always seem to be worried about him. They either think he's a Trolloc or think he is something horrible, and he always has to reassure them, so it's always difficult on him when he's traveling. Second, we learn that Ogier traveling is not common at all. In fact, uh, Loyal is not, because he is too young at only 90 years old, he is not kind of legally allowed to travel without the permission of something called the Stump, However, he realized that the stump wouldn't decide whether or not he was allowed to leave until he was old enough to leave on his own, so he just left. Um, we then hear um, Loyal uh, start talking briefly kind of in metaphor about the weave of the pattern, and um, he mentions a few things in this discussion. Um, first off, he... I'm trying to make sure I get this all in order. Apologies. So first off, he mentions that Ogier can only leave the steading temporarily, that if they try to leave for too long, it is potentially dangerous for them. He says he has years left until he needs to return to a steading, but that's an interesting bit of world building. Um, secondly, he says that he expects Rand to react to one of the things he says about the weave and about, um, I think, a tree he mentions. Um, and he apologizes to Rand because he realizes that he would have treated it differently because he's obviously Aiel. And Rand is kind of freaked out by this, says he's from Menetherin. And then Loyal, because of kind of the long memories of Ogier, immediately apologizes for the horrible things that were done at Menetherin, even though it was almost 2,000 years ago. Um, finally, um, Rand kind of tells his whole story to Loyal. He kind of spills the entirety of what's going on, including all of the dark friends and the merge rail and all of the horrible things. And Loyal declares that Rand must be Tavirin. And he explains kind of the basics of the metaphor we've been bandying about a little bit since uh, Moraine first started using it, um, about the lives that are woven into the pattern and how some people are Tavirin. They uh, kind of shape the pattern around them rather than being shaped by the pattern. And so as a result, they're able to create massive change wherever they go. And so Loyal says that definitely Rand and possibly even Perrin and Matt are Tavirin in some way. And that's clearly why so much is going on around them and so many odd coincidences seem to be coinciding all at once wherever they go. Um, and it's kind of a long discussion of a chapter, but we're both meeting a new character and learning lots of new interesting world building details. So I'm curious in all of that kind of discussion and exposition, what stood out to you and what excited you in this chapter, Greg? There's there's a lot to get excited about. I think, you know, um, I'm somebody who likes mythology and likes kind of that side of world building in particular. So when we hear about 
you know, for lack of a better term, this kind of cosmology of like, it's, it's about the pattern and, and the weaving and the threads. That That's what got me most excited. I think the very first time that came up, I referenced Melville and how uh, in Moby Dick, they there's a similar metaphor. And I've always loved that in Moby Dick. And so I, I really like that uh, its presence here, um, even if it's, it's somewhat, you know, vague and mysterious at the same time. But um, yeah, and, and I, I did like that twist on it with the, Tagirin, Tavirin, Tavirin. Sorry, I again a little House of the Dragon invest in evading my thoughts. I think no, you're totally good. I have about 15 years of my own life pronouncing <laughs> it Tavirin until the TV show came out. So I am along <laughs> with you on this pronunciation journey. Yeah, I just heard a, a Star Wars podcast get raked over the coals for saying Coruscant, and it's like, no, that's what it was until the prequels. Like we all yep. thought it was Coruscant. Uh, so uh, that would probably stand out as my favorite bit of the chapter. But in my notes, the first thing I wrote down was like, guys, loose lips sink ships. <laughs> like it seems like we haven't had that big of a test here, and they're telling everything to Master Gill, and it's. Yep. You thought that was, you know, rushed. Then it's like, oh, loyal, you seem cool. Blah, blah. Here's my whole story. And and we get a second character being filled in on what I would say is way too much information for two fugitives on the run. So that was my initial reaction. Yeah, I mean, that's 100% correct, but also just feels accurate for like, what are they, 18-year-olds on their first road trip, right? Like, <laughs> you just show up in town and you're like, oh, hey, you're the innkeeper. Here's what's going on. Can you help me with these eight problems that you can easily exploit in some way? I kind of buy that, especially of Rand, who at this point feels kind of abandoned by the only person left with him, right? He just needs companionship of some kind and is throwing it out there to anyone, anytime, it seems like. Yeah, I'd agree with that read of it because, you know, 18 year olds are silly. Sorry, any 18 year old listeners. Uh, but I would couple that also with remembering that they've just come out of this like long, traumatic, really hard stretch. So it's like, oh, so they're not alone anymore and they have sympathetic ears. So, yes, it's it's like that plus this like wish to to not be as isolated as they've been. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is kind of heightened by, I guess for me, I don't know whether it's exactly directly before or directly after this. Well, it depends on whether we're talking about Gil or Loyal. Um, but the conversation between Matt and Rand, where it's very clear that Matt is like, okay, we finally made it to Camelin. How dare you suggest that everything's going to be okay when we get to Tarvalon after three months of saying everything would be okay when we got to Camelin? actual real time, probably more like two, two and a half weeks, but continue. Um, but I think that conversation was really interesting to see Rand in previous chapters kind of had been able to fend off Matt's pessimism very easily. And I feel like this is the first time we've really seen him falter in that reassurance and struggle to kind of build a coherent story about why it's going to be okay if they keep trying to go forward. And I thought that shift in, in Rand's kind of ability to have that argument was, was really telling. I didn't know whether that was something you picked up on at all or um, how you feel about kind of the decline in, in Matt's mental health we've seen over the past it feels like too many chapters. Yeah, I mean, in my notes, I just wrote, you know, Matt is all doom and gloom. Uh, and that continues. I, I just describe it all to the dagger, right? And, and you know, it's, it is like, I think of Sam and Frodo carrying the ring, right? That, that is just 
a constant weight on them and that's what's dragging him down and in terms of its effect on rand rand i just think like you know if that's all you hear we've all been there we have that friend right who is like if if all you hear is doom and gloom from them eventually it's just like yeah man yep it's all over like you got me you convinced me and you kind of give in a little but also just don't care anymore to fight it because because there's no fight left in you uh to respond to that um and I think yeah. while we've all had that friend like Matt <laughs> at some point in our life, I hope we have uh, also all had kind of the new open welcoming presence of someone like Loyal, <laughs> right? Because this is a new character. The first one we've gotten in quite some time, right? Elias is probably the last kind of major-ish character, yeah. unless we're counting white cloaks, um, that we've gotten here. And so I was curious... How do you feel about our first non-human character that we have gotten? And how did this kind of first hint of something more than just the average medieval times kind of land with you in the way that Jordan is presenting it? I mean, it's what I predicted in episode one of this very podcast. I said we were going to get races and uh, people. So, you know, I was playing the long game and just waiting for it, for it to come. <laughs> um, it is exciting. And, you know, uh, my head is in D&D land now instead of Lord of the Rings land. And um, that is exciting and fun. And and I did like that. uh I did like the character, right? Yeah. Um, in my head, I think because he's no gear, I just, I'm like, this is Shrek. Hey, Shrek, welcome to, to Eye of the World. Um, and, you to know. To be perfectly honest, uh, like brown skin tone Shrek is not that far off from the Amazon <laughs> TV show. Uh, I always liked, um, my wife and I were at Universal Studios once and we saw Shrek standing there and we laughed so hard because Shrek is like what defines Shrek in that, those movies. Like he's so ugly and the Shrek in Universal Studios, they just painted a guy like it wasn't a suit, it wasn't a mask. <laughs> and I was like, you got hired to be the ugly character? Like, dude, that, that's harsh. Uh, so uh, yeah, so uh, I really liked the character. Like, uh, you know, the name felt very Star Wars to me where you get like oh i bet he's loyal right like yeah. uh, not a lot of imagination uh there um but the other thing that made him endearing is he's hiding out in the library right i mean I, yeah. i'm a, a beloved academic at heart and and want to hide out in a library somewhere and just entertain myself with stories and there is a well i guess it's it's uh rand as he enters sees a few books he's like super excited about so yeah you imagine that the two of them could, if the universe allowed, sit there and read books and share stories for a long time. And that sounds great. So, so yeah, I, I liked him immediately. Yeah, as someone who works at Emerson College and the best perk of my job is being able to go out in like my two hour break between classes and go read a book or do something in the Boston Common, I completely relate to a character whose goal in life is to walk around to all of the amazing parks that his people built and read Mm. books. That sounds fantastic to me. Um, Loyal is definitely an interesting character in that he is presented as so large and kind of different looking than humans that he he scares people he worries them but then the second he starts talking you could imagine him as just any kind of wise old man character it just happens to be coming from someone who is young according to their people's definition and that contrast i think is really interesting for the first time we see a character outside of of humanity 
it is funny how in fantasy we almost always just assume a human lifespan so uh you know elves are are usually much older in in the fantasy realm but i think of chewbacca that they make a lot of hay out of the fact he's 200 and like yeah like han is a barely a a little puppy to him basically um (laughs) so uh it is fun to see that play and i think you're right that it is more unique to have it be oh it's wizened old man on our scale but young inexperienced uh rube in in their scale kind of uh you know yeah and i always when i listen to loyal's kind of cadence of speech i feel like or not listen to i guess read um i always feel like jordan has nailed the kind of thing that the peter jackson movies did really well with the ends where (laughs) you can tell that they are being direct in the way that they speak but it takes three times as many words as any reasonable human would take Mm. to express the idea i feel like he gets the the cadence of that feeling both kind of realistic and not Yoda-like while also feeling different from the way a traditional person speaks. I think he found that balance really well with that character. Yeah, and and I'll take the opportunity to say where I was thinking of the Ents this chapter is the references to the stump. I'm like, oh, that's the Ent move, right? Where where all the Ents get together and and, uh, speak together and debate the course of action. Um, It felt very much like that. Like that has to be some kind of convocation, I assume, around a sacred stump or ancient stump of some kind. And they'll call it the stump uh, and, and... set the rules for the group there but uh yeah and and you know i i love treebeard uh so i'm i'm very excited to see uh the role here now as i understand i i know this is skipping kind of towards the end and we'll we'll talk about the the lore dump i'm sure but um so he he was basically saying like i want to go with you i want to keep traveling but we can't travel together right so i i could go separately to tarvelon is that the message he was giving yeah, so Leal basically said, I would love to travel with you. I think this would be fantastic. And Rand's response is like, bro, you're nine feet tall. People are looking <laughs> for me. I can't have someone taller than any other human okay. walking around with me. And so Rand was like, look, if we both get to Tarvalon safely, I'd love to see the grove with you. You know, we should hang. But uh, basically, it seems like Rand kind of shut down Loyal's interest in going together because he would be kind of a beacon drawing whoever was following after. And I guess I'll ask, is there anything else kind of Loyal character specific? Because I think what I have in my notes for the rest of this chapter is two big pieces of the lore dump, as you described it. But I was curious if you had anything else kind of broadly on the chapter before we get into a little bit of backstory stuff. Uh, I, I think maybe I have one that is a good transition from one to the other. And that's the moment you mentioned in your summary where he calls Rand an Eilman, Eilman, Eilman. And um, I am concurrently on a very bizarre quest. I just reread all of Saga, the fantastic graphic novel series. It's so uh, good. I, for some reason, I thought the new volume that just came out, the 10th, was the last one. Like, I had this in my mind. They were they were so, just going to finish it off. <laughs> so this is actually, originally, they had announced the goal was to do oh, a 10-book series. And yeah. then they got far enough in. They said, we don't, we can't do that. So they decided to do two nine-volume sets. Yeah. So that's why there was such a long break between nine and 10. Okay. But so I, I had I, the same thing. Yeah, I like I posted on Instagram. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm starting the end of this journey. I don't want it to end. 
like I stayed up late last night finishing because I'm like, oh, I've only got like two issues worth left. I got to the end. It's like to be continued. I'm like, what? How, how did I mess this up so bad? But yes, I saw it will essentially be 108 volumes when it's over. So we're barely over halfway anyway. But I'm excited because Saga is fantastic. But there there were some dramatic moments in somewhere around volume six or seven where a character could uh, was sniffing and uh, revealed to another character that she was pregnant. I'm going to leave it vague because if people don't know saga it's worth having the vague and and experiencing my use and it's like this great moment where you're like oh like she can sense this extra layer to to her just from scent and and reveal these details and um so i think i read that roughly concurrent with this moment and i was like oh i think i think it's the same thing i think he's saying you are an aielman and uh rand's like no 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 i'm from Marithrin, Manithrin, 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 and it's like, no, you're not, dude. Like this is this is, I think, is a big clue into Rand's backstory that just flew over his head. Yeah, and I don't think there's any other way to read this, right? When someone who has never seen you before is so sure of your lineage that they are like, and I think it doesn't even happen. He's not just like, oh, you look like an Aielman. It's he like drops what would be like a, an inside like hint or inside joke mm. kind of thing to an Aielman. And then when Rand doesn't respond, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you would you know, know about this because obviously like that's how sure he was <laughs> about this. So um, clearly there is something he's giving off that reads Aiel in, in some way or another. And that's again, exciting. And you know, I guess at the end of the day, I'd say that makes it endearing to Rand because uh, it's like, dude, like it's all here. Like if you could just, you know, yeah. understand it all and flow a little better, I think you'd find the answers to those big questions that you're looking for. But he just so thoroughly forgets the questions in the action of the moment. And and to be clear, I, I think that's a purposeful choice of Jordan. It's not just to stretch out the mysteries. It's just like, no, like you were saying before, he's 18, right? Yeah, and I think that this is why I struggle so much with this book is because we do spend just an enormous amount of time in Rand's head, right? It's chapter 20 or so until we get out of his head for the first time. And then it seems you can obviously tell at this point we're spending much more time with the Rand and Matt plot line than we are with either of the others. Um, And I think that I would be really interested in reading a really heavily Rand-centric book once Rand grows up a little bit and that's Mm -hmm. what characters do they learn and they grow and they evolve and Rand becomes one of my favorite characters at some point but somewhat oblivious I'm only going to be able to focus on one thing at a time you know narrow eyeballs Rand is just not for me and I am not super excited about another 200 pages of him sorry (laughs) I and I think that's entirely a fair reaction and I'm trying to think of kind of comparisons and nothing's coming to mind, but yeah, I I mean, Harry Potter, like those, especially in the films, they're so annoying in those early movies. And, and, you know, by the end you, you see them mature into people you want to hang out with. And, and, that's more about, you know, them just becoming adults on screen. But but it is true, I think, that people who reject YA generally are like, I don't want to hang out with teens. Teens are annoying. I want to read about adults with adult feelings and so on. So 
Yeah, and I think that Jordan is walking the tightrope between kind of realistic characters because we all know and all have been people who just like keep hearing information contradictory to what we want to believe and we repress it for a little while. And that's exactly what Rand is doing here. Um, but I also think in doing so, uh, Robert Jordan is painting himself into a little bit of a corner in sticking us in a character's head and then making us kind of repeatedly question that character's decision making as we're getting information that clearly points us in one direction and he's just not getting it and I think that tension is is a challenge for me at times especially in this book just because of how much we are in his head um unless you have way more Aiel conspiracies to share which I assume you do not um I think we dive into the last portion of the chapter which is kind of the cosmology as as Either you described it or I thought of you describing it. Well, you were describing it some other way. Okay, cool. Um, and and this idea of a Taviran, and especially the idea that some of the kind of you know convergence we've seen around Rand might not be completely random. It might be a result of this, you know, kind of new characteristic that we're hearing about. Um, how did this new information kind of slot in with the way you had already thought about this metaphor of the weaving of the world? And also just with kind of the the story we've been with with Rand for the past, you know, crazy week in his life. Uh so I am not a physicist. Let's pre let's preface it with this. But one of the most evocative ways I ever saw gravity explained, I think, was the physicist Brian Green on a Nova special. And and I think it was I think this would be Einstein gravity, not Newton gravity. Uh, I mean, it's the same gravity, but uh, the idea being that there is a way to conceive of gravity as a a cloth kind of stretched taut and when a uh, an object say jupiter sits on the cloth it pulls the cloth down so far that space and time warp into the vortex around the planet in the ways yeah. we you might picture a black hole or something but that's just the way it works um and that was what largely came to mind here because we already had this kind of two-dimensional weaving metaphor going on and it's like oh there are these figures within this these threads that are so you know heavy for lack of a better word or, or so massive i, I would be the yeah. technical gravity term then uh that they pull and they warp the cloth around them and can even change the pattern which stretches the the physics metaphor a little bit but um you know i think every good mythology needs uh a way to have somebody heroic in it uh, somebody who breaks the mold yeah. and this felt like a pretty great one to me that it's like oh you know and not to get too deeply religious on on us but uh you know i, I i'm not somebody who believes deeply in predestination in any way shape or form and and i think any mythology that relies on that too heavily just falls apart and and feels yeah. bad so so this way we're making sure okay Yes, there's repetition in this world. Yes, there's a pattern that can be expected, that can be foreseen, um, as we saw that other character do. But this just guarantees that the actors still have some agency and the work they complete with that agency can, in fact, change uh, that pattern and that repetition. And um, I think for me, more than anything, that just makes it clear, like, nobody knows what's going to happen in the long run of this story. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about the way that we're describing this Taviran process and kind of how 
some people you're saying kind of have like weight or the ability to pull things around them. Um, I think that it's really interesting that when it's described for the first time, it's almost described as if the pattern puts barriers in front of you, right? The example I think Rand gives is like, if I wanted to build my farm across town, the pattern would allow that. But if I try to go and be king, there's going to be something in the pattern that prevents me. And so the idea of these Taviran not just being people who warp and move and twist things around them, but also then the metaphor being something like you are unconstrained by the rest of the pattern. Things will get out of your way if you try to veer yourself towards kinghood. A lot of the ordinary barriers might just suddenly disappear. I think the brilliance of what Robert Jordan has done is he's both done exactly what you've said he's created a situation where our characters have real agency and feel like they're driving the story forward and everything isn't determined for them but he's also almost given himself to some degree plot hole armor right mm. robert jordan is like oh did something really crazy happen that you wouldn't expect oh well mm. tavirin <laughs> right he kind of avoids yeah. all of those like listicles that you read about the 18 things that are wrong with avengers endgame like all of those like nope tavirin yeah yeah huh that that's really good and actually it's funny you mentioned avengers because i was just thinking of loki when you were talking that like that that's the mythology they set up is that the tva comes in and when you get kind of too far out of the path you're supposed to be on but you know uh so what you're saying is there's no TVA here. If if you're a Taviran, oh now yeah. those are too closely together in terms of words. But if you're a Taviran, you uh just have the power to to break out of all. I guess that sounds very much like Neo in the Matrix as well, right? Um, cool. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. that's that is exciting, and I think it remains a positive choice that he keeps all of them in the mix um that he's yeah. not singling out just rand uh you know he may be more powerful or or a little uh easier to identify but it seems like all of them are are destined for greatness absolutely and just one thing i want to mention here while we are just this this is a note to put down somewhere for when we eventually have the Robert Jordan sexism question mark conversation mm. is with, at this point, we have heard a bunch of characters talk about how special these Emmons fielders are. And it always feels like the boys are just a little bit on a level above the television show has kind of solved this problem with Egwene possibly being Taviran with Egwene possibly being one of the people who the dark friends are after. But at the time there definitely was, was a lot of calls and there's a lot of you know headcanon and fan theories that I'm aware of, of people including Egwene on the list of you know potential Taviran or potential whatever even though it's always the boys that get listed when there's some new fun reality warping power well let's hear it for the boys uh <laughs> no well and I was reminding myself in the front of the book while you were talking it is I mean it's 1990 so you yeah would think we'd know a little better by then you know I, i've been reading some books from the 70s and you kind of put that oh it was the time on it but i think it's right to kind of call out 1990 as a little late to yeah still be playing those games but as as you know you and i both know from the fandoms we're in it's it's rough going in sci-fi and fantasy uh mm -hmm. for female characters and you know it's the year of our force 2022 and apparently black elves are warping the minds of, of people so <laughs> i guess we shouldn't really say you know it should have been solved by him but it's certainly something that's unfortunate and uh should be adjusted and it's good to hear that the tv show did that certainly 
Yeah, and this is a, a bigger conversation we'll have, I think, as we see, you know, more characters and more, you know, not races, but more kind of cultures and places around the world and how, you know, gender is represented. But um, just, I, I'm with you. It's it's 1990 and that gets you some leeway, but not enough in some cases mm. for these books. Um, but unless you had anything else specifically to say about Taviran or the mythology around it, I would probably hop around to the next chapter. Uh, any last thoughts on that kind of new piece of, you know, world building? No, uh, my my notes are spent. I just uh, really loved the quote, the wheel of time. Uh, sorry, the yeah, the wheel of time weaves the pattern of ages. Lives are the thread it uses. Very good writing. Just to shout it out on the way past there. But yes, take us into the long chase. Yes. So chapter 37, the long chase blessedly begins with the word Nynaeve. It's uh, <laughs> wonderful in my opinion. Um, so Nynaeve is watching the horses in the night um, after Lan has kind of given her a gruff order and walked off with Moraine. She uh, has a flashback where she kind of remembers the moment where Moraine first found out that Perrin had lost his coin and then in the middle of the night later that evening said that he was reunited with the coin and I thought it was kind of telling and interesting in that scene that both Moraine and Nynaeve are awake in the middle of the night when Perrin gets his coin back. Um, mm. But her memory is then kind of interrupted by Lan saying you are needed and hobbling the horses. Um, she then gets to the top of the hill along with Moraine and Lan and sees a number of tents below uh, a, Moraine, or a, a white cloak force that Lan estimates is about 200 white cloaks. Um, Lan offers the opportunity to help in getting uh, whichever one of the boys is in the camp out, and she immediately jumps at the opportunity. And basically, Lan tells her the plan is for her to go to the horse lines of the White Cloaks, cut all of their lines that they're very thin, and then when the distraction happens, the horses will scatter, and so the White Cloaks won't be able to chase as they make their escape. Um, so Nynaeve does this. There's a couple of tense scenes where she waits out some guards and figures out what the rotation is it felt very metal gear solid to me i kind of enjoyed it um and then Nynaeve predictably is successful. She is able to cut through all of the rope lines. She makes it to the final horse line before realizing, hey, that's Bella. So realizing that Egwene is here, she takes Bella. She also takes one more horse for whichever one of the boys it is, cuts the rest of the lines. And then immediately, as I jotted down in my notes, the entirety of my notes for the last page or so is lightning horses, wolves run. End of chapter. Um, so I think we may run into the dilemma we sometimes do of plot overwhelming big conversation points, but we're finally out of Rand's head. Greg, how excited were you? I was very excited. And it was uh, also just to take the chapter on the whole, the fact that it's like, oh, we've got everybody here or, you know, they they don't appear, but it's clear they're they're converging uh, together. Um, it was like, okay, like what was interesting too then is that the chapter is called The Long Chase and the chase gets yada, yada, yada. It's yep. like, like we've been following them and it, it's like, just like, yeah, we were in Whitebridge and then we went through all the villages. So, um, you know, I think at some point I had hypothesized, at least in my head, if not on air, that we would get these chapters that follow that felt like um, 
like Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, where you had the little hints. And then when Harry and Hermione go through time, go back in time, you see them fill in. Like there are all these kind of slightly mysterious things that happened in Rand's journey. It's like, oh, I kind of imagine they'll fill us all in. And to me, it's like, oh, I guess we're not doing that because we just did a big chunk of it. If 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 we were, it would all be very small. So I I suspect it's it's not there. So um primarily excitement though. Um and it was kind of uh, a cool little bit of action. Uh, I'm not a Metal Gear solid player, but it, there are lots of things you do like this in uh Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed which I do yeah. play yeah. Uh so I it felt like that like let's let's set the the stages and so when the big action happens everything falls apart. So uh yeah uh and really, that's almost everything in my notes. Uh, I mean, I was excited the wolves were there. That that was like the bonus yeah. I wasn't expecting, the little cherry at the end. And you're like, yeah, the wolves are here too. So, Yeah, I think the two <laughs> things that I want to talk about here, number one is I'm always interested in the naive Moraine dynamic, especially because in previous chapters we have had uh, naive at times kind of almost angry when she agrees with Moraine. We've had her... Um, kind of say, I am going to become an Aes Sedai, but only so I can use it against you. And, you know, seems to have this very standoffish relationship. And so we get almost kind of like a sweet moment where very clearly Moraine is staying up worried because we we know it's Perrin. She doesn't know it's Perrin, but because Perrin has lost his coin. And obviously Nynaeve also is because, you know, she wants to save these boys. That's her kind of mission in life. Um, Mm. And then not only does A, Moraine clearly seem relieved when she finds out that uh, the boy has gotten the coin back, but then the fact that Moraine, who has been completely tight-lipped on everything, always no information given, immediately tells Nynaeve, who she obviously knows is awake, um, what's going on. I thought that was just a really wonderful moment between those characters who who haven't really showed a lot of positivity towards each other. Yeah, it feels, uh, it's like game-recognized game, right? Like, like, we don't like each other, but there's a respect of some kind there that's like, you know, I I think I I read it the relationship as Moraine knows she's there for the right reasons and she might kind of annoy her and not want her there, but she's there for the right. Nynaeve is there for the right reasons and will do helpful things, even if it's not ideal to have her along. Yeah, absolutely. And this actually kind of gets at what is a major difference between the television show and the book. And obviously we're not going to talk much about the TV show because I don't want to spoil anything for those of you who haven't watched it, but we have kind of mentioned briefly in the past that the Perrin and Egwene section of the book is adapted largely kind of as it is in the book. Um, the Matt and Rand section again is condensed, but also adapted pretty, you know, kind of solidly. But the new addition in the television show is to fill in the gaps in this naive Moraine storyline that is basically non-existent from this book, right? Mm. Um, because at this point, we are now merging, it seems, the two storylines together. We're now going to have the kind of big cluster of all of the Emmons fielders, except for Man- Rand and Matt as opposed to two separate groups. So I'm curious your thoughts um, on how little of Nynaeve we've gotten, despite her being, uh, you know, the first character who we got when we got out of Rand's head. It's, you know, an interesting dynamic of not getting nearly as much of this character who seems like she was billed as, 
you know, a big deal early on in, in some of the storytelling. Well, I think I would go back even further and be like, she seemed like she was not a big deal. <laughs> and then then to your point, it's like it, I'd completely written her off. And then when she first appeared back, it was like, oh, antagonist, I think uh, sus as I stole uh, from, yeah. from current uh, uh, phrasing. Uh, and then you're right that then, oh, and it really felt to me despite all my complaining about the last three or four weeks when we've been talking about only rant it really felt to me like lord of the rings like oh they're gone now and we'll get back together at the end of the adventure and and you know those yeah. those threads won't come back in so um uh, yes so so as glad as i was to get here it was like oh and and you're right it, it feels like we're closing off loose ends we're not opening up more story with this separation it's like oh let's draw them back together and then i now am going to assume like it won't be too long till they catch up in in uh Camelin or perhaps not till tarvelon and and that i mean i think if to go out on the smallest of limbs it's like i think we'll be all together at the end of this book which i wouldn't necessarily have suspected at the breaking. And so I guess all that is to answer your question is just like, yeah, it seems like none of them feel like their separate adventures are going to matter much. What mattered much is isolating the, the boys and then getting them all back together in some way. Yeah. And I guess what's interesting to me is it seems like that we at least got important character moments for each of our major characters, right? We had Perrin both, you know, kind of his interactions with the Tinkers and the Wolves. Matt obviously is just doing whatever dagger things are happening. Rand has been going through all of what's been happening along the road. And then, you know, obviously Perrin's got the Wolves. Egwene had um, Aram and now being kidnapped by the White Cloaks. Nynaeve got to see a bridge <laughs> and remembered the time Lan was nice to her. Mm. That's yeah, pretty that's much the of entirety of this. You know, <laughs> we, we, I, it's, I guess what it is, is it felt like at the breaking, we were breaking into three groups and now the rug has kind of been revealed that no, actually there were only two groups in one kind of through story and, and, and yeah. some adults we needed it later in the book. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that seems right to me. And um, they, I mean, you're just also reminding me so much of her earlier appearance was like, this is a big, powerful woman in this village. And the only real development we got is like, oh, she's small time. Like, yeah. you know, she she hasn't seen a bridge. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do think that both the other plot lines uh, in embiggened i'll steal the ms marvel slash yep. simpsons word embiggened those characters and uh nynaeve comes back smaller and it seems like more so than ever perhaps like why is she around here again why why are we keeping her along but um you know and i think i made this comparison when she showed up again it feels like Gollum in lord of the rings right like you stayed your hand and, and let him live and he's just gonna come along and yeah. play some small role in the end yeah, no, that sounds about right. And these are just, <laughs> these are the chapters that to me, I am like, okay, Robert Jordan, you either needed to go all in on this plot line or you needed to cut them. It's an 800 page book. And so that's yeah. always been my struggle. Um, 
if we've got a triad of characters and Moraine and Lan is boring to talk about, I think the last thing I want to do is just quickly draw our attention to the other dyad in that group. Um, so Nynaeve and Lan, we get a couple of kind of character moments between them. Um, we find out that Lan's horse will not listen to <laughs> Nynaeve unless uh, Lan gives permission. Um, and we also learn that Lan has kind of grown to respect Nynaeve's skills as far as tracking and hiding he obviously gives her an important kind of task during the escape plan um, but we also learn that she internally is kind of increasingly looking to one-up him and validate herself by being able to live up to his extremely high standards and so it's, it's clear those characters have some sort of relationship developing um, just in terms of the way that they're you know interacting with each other and you know as you said earlier it's it's a matter of does game recognize game mm. yet um so i'm curious what, what you got as far as any vibe between those characters just because it's the only other thing i have in my notes for this chapter yeah i mean we had before uh some real recognition of her tracking skills um that that stood out to Lan and yeah i didn't want to repeat game recognizes game so i thought of uh ooh, Murdoch in Jurassic Park when the raptor and he just says clever girl okay, yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like that's the kind of begrudging respect he's giving is like uh you know I it seems to me that the warders are the top or supposed to be the top top in those skills and so yeah. you know the fact that he gives her any respect means a significant amount um and you know, that she wants to impress him, I think is just another way in which she wants to get back into the kind of the, the ruling class maybe of this party. Right. Cause she was, she was an elite in the, the town. She, she got to make decisions and she wants to make sure it's clear that she should be part of that group here and has a stake in what happens to these kids. Yeah. And I think kind of bundled up in that kind of status and class is also the fact that 90s probably hasn't for at least several years. We know she's very young to be wisdom, but it's not like she's brand new in the position. Um, it's probably been several years since she had anyone she was interacting with who she couldn't kind of boss around and just talk her way out of any issue. And so I think the fact that she is now in, you know, I'm going to use D&D slang, she's in mm. a party with Moraine and Lan, two just ridiculously competent people, and especially Moraine, who just disarms what was once her skill of authority and ability to kind of solve problems by talking them away um i think it's really interesting to see her kind of clinging to whatever uh recognition of mastery she can get because it is a very different environment for her no longer being at, at the top of the totem pole i think that's really good a really good point you're making yeah and so she she's not a bard uh who would never earn respect but uh i think in a DD &D party when you have two really strong warriors or i guess this would be the warrior and the magic user she's like the ranger and the ranger has a really useful skill set but has to deploy it correctly and needs a good player because if you're the player who just tries to be the warrior as the ranger that doesn't work out well and We've had one of those in our, uh, not in our recent, but in our early D&D groups. So it's like, whatever character I am, I'm just going to run into the problem and hit stuff with my sword. And yeah. that just doesn't work in role playing, right? You have to play the role. And so, um, but I, I don't think that's the danger of her here because she, 
knows that she should be showing her correct skills, right? Sneaking, uh, you know, it's even a very specific cut the reins just so there's, you know, just a little bit still there. So they don't go until the scare happens. And, and yeah, that, those are ranger skills. Those are uh, interesting. Yeah. And I think we've seen Lan in the past kind of be a do everything himself. I don't trust these sheep herders to, you know, handle anything other than the horses. And so I think, I think, Nynaeve is right to feel proud here, right? This is a hurdle that none of the boys were able to get over in, you know, a week or two of traveling with him. And she seems to have at least gotten the, you are competent enough for me to give you a job. And as you're saying, a pretty specialized, difficult job. So yeah. um, good for her. Congratulations, <laughs> Nynaeve. Um, and I think that's pretty much all I have for the long chase. Any last quotes or thoughts about, again, Lots of plot, not a lot of talk. Um, Nynaeve is not old, but you just sounded like when when like the the single mom has got her kids off to college and she goes back to night school, you made her sound like, a, like good for you. Like, whether you, hey, whether you get that degree or not, like good for, you're out there, you're doing stuff. Yes. Uh, and that stupid, stupid, probably sexist joke aside, I have nothing else uh, to add. So uh, I think we're, we're just full steam ahead. Like you said, we're down at about 200 pages left, just barely over. Uh, and so we are moving on to chapter 38 and 39 for next week so that would be rescue and weaving of the web again one of those i'm more excited for than the other uh which largely mirrors uh this uh this week's episode uh but i will just say i'm continuing to have a great time i think it was a little bit of you know doldrums as we cross through those those ran chapters uh but it never turned into disinterest it would be interesting to me if i were reading this on my own if i would have rushed through those chapters or kind of like had that thing where like i just can't pick it up for a couple weeks or a couple days yeah. um so uh but thankfully i don't have to make those decisions for myself because i just have to be ready each week to to talk about the next chunk so uh a pleasure as always, Tyler. I will let you close us out with any final words. Uh, no, I just want to say you mentioned there was one chapter you were very excited about and one chapter that you weren't. And you said it was kind of in a mirror of this week's episode. I assume what you are referencing is that we have one Rand chapter and one non-Rand chapter. <laughs> um, let me just tell you, however, we're about to get to my favorite Rand section of this book. Ooh. So maybe revise those expectations just a little bit and we will get a chance to see some of those revised expectations next week through the glass columns. So ends another episode of Through the Glass Columns. We thank you for joining us and continuing with us on our quest to cover all of the Wheel of Time in our own sweet time. This podcast features original content developed by Tyler Orm and Greg Cass and is not in any way affiliated with, associated with, or condoned by the Robert Jordan Estate, Tor Fantasy, or Amazon. All content is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're enjoying this podcast, please seek out the books from your local bookshop or library and join us as we continue our journey. If you'd like to contact us to share your thoughts or give feedback, you can email us at throughtheglasscolumns at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Through the Glass Columns. Thank you once again for being part of this community. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the show, leave us a review wherever you're listening, and recommend this show on your social media to help us grow our community. We look forward to welcoming you back next time Through the Glass Columns.